0: when you start to figure these things out in your own head, then the actual quirks and the traits and the endearment and stuff, it comes naturally or more naturally because you know your characters that well and they're not flesh, they're not just cardboard, they're actually living, breathing human beings. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best selling and award winning author of the Kick Ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers. And this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking riding in the butt one word at a time. Right. Sometimes it really does feel like one word at a time.
1: <laughs> Some, and sometimes it doesn't. Those are the good times. Uh, last, in, last week's show, in the intro of last week's show, we mentioned that you and I had been kicking around a show topic and coincidentally carol had asked a question in in the fan club group that was sort of tied in with that and uh, what you and i were talking about was character quirks and traits and carol's scenario was more embedding character traits into the story so we went with with her questions last week but this week we're going to be talking about quirks and traits the kinds of things that might uh, for readers like me, might um, bond me or bind me to Endearing. a character, endear, endear the character to me. Um, but before we get to that, chit-chat. And this is because Taylor and I talk a lot when we're recording, and we talk a lot when we're not recording, a lot of times we can't remember if we've covered a topic or not, because it's we'll just talk about something, and we'll be happy, you know, we'll be... 45 minutes into it, and you'll say, oh, we should have recorded that. <laughs> and so when I suggested this topic, Taylor said, I'm pretty sure we've recorded a show about that. And I, I don't think we have. And so we went back and forth, and we couldn't remember. And this is not the first time this has happened. So we went to the expert. We went to, We went to Carol and said, have we ever talked about this one particular scene And she said, nope. So we feel safe talking about this. If we have, if we've covered this topic before, we apologize. (laughs) But I mean, it's, 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 it's a challenge to, to keep it all straight. We should, we should be better at it.
0: This is not our full-time job, guys. You know, we just do this on the, for fun on the side. (laughs) And then we both, you know, it's like what little two brain cells we have to click together at the time. It's like, I can't remember. Did we do that already? Yeah, and
1: sometimes you will I'll send you material and you'll send it back with some notes and that those notes will will generate questions and we'll start talking about that and it's like, okay, was that did we record that for a show or was that something else? So yeah, it is it's hard. We should just have a rule that We should um,
0: just have a a thing where it's record and call it conversations with Taylor and Steve.
1: (laughs) We should. And just release every single one of them.
0: No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that would be interesting. Total transparency.
0: Oh my god, it would be embarrassing.
1: What do you make of the transparency, uh, the the urgent need for transparency in everything now? I was I I was listening to something on on uh, sports television last night where they were talking about somebody's not transparent enough.
0: What the f- leap does that even mean? Like I. I mean of course I'm coming from it from at it from my own perspective but there was a time I, I should say biased when I um when the information was just blowing up and of course you know all the media attention that I got was Taylor cult kid cult kid cult kid and it it irritated me no end because yes the the whole cult aspect of it was sexy and it you know got headlines and exotic and all this type of stuff but they're like 5,000 people they could have talked to, I could have introduced them to if they just wanted to talk to somebody who was born and raised in a cult. The whole reason that they wanted to talk to me was because of what I had achieved. And then it's like, oh, and you came from a cult? So (laughs) um, then, you know, they're like, oh, now give us the juicy details of of this cultic background. And I had a line. I would go so far, far and no further. And because it always came down to give us the gory details about the abuse you suffered. And I'm like, no. And they're like, but your readers want to know. And I was like, that doesn't mean they have a right to know. And my line was because I couldn't control the, um, the context. Like they could Once it came out of my mouth, they could use it however they wanted. And I knew they were going to use it to try and sell more copies. It didn't have, they didn't give a crap about me as a human being. This is my life. I had to live it. And whatever showed up in print, my kids were going to grow up and see it and go, Mom? And I'm going to be like, have to explain to them, no, that's not really what happened. It's just that they twisted my words. <laughs> so I didn't want to have to deal with any of that. But that whole concept of the readers want to know. And I'm like, so what? They don't have a right to know. This is my life. So that concept of, you know, they need to be transparent, like you owe it, like they're, they're entitled to it. Why? What did those people ever do to me that I need to now slip my wrist and bare my soul and spill my guts for them? You know, like, are they going to help me recover and, you know, help make my life better and help my children? No, they just want me to be entertainment for them. I don't owe that to them. And it sounds really harsh, but, but think about it. That's really what it is. I have a sense of entitlement to your soul. No, you don't. I don't have that sense of entitlement to yours. Why do you have it to me? It's a one-way street here, you know? So obviously I'm very biased on this issue. (laughs) Um, But there's also the issue of transparency in government. Um, And that's different because elected representatives, that's not their own personal lives. It's, you know, where's our money going and that type of thing, the whole other... So like so many things I keep talking about, it's contextual. (laughs) What are we talking about here?
1: (laughs) All right. And some of this, some of the backstory that we're talking about here. I mean, some of the things that have become part of your story, when people describe who you are, probably when you're introduced, um, it's it it. The words are used like New York Times bestselling author and former cult member. True?
0: Yes. Yes, but it's worse than that. And I'm sorry, I know this show is not about <laughs> this topic, but you got me on this subject. I was at an event I had just um, come off the New York Times bestseller list, and I was at this event with all these authors who were, um, it was like a sponsored thing, where famous author, or like me, new author, with a table of eight people, and those people had paid to sit there with the author, and it was like a charity event thing, right? So up on the stage, they're listing off all the authors, and they do it alphabetically, and since my last name starts with S, I'm usually at the bottom of the list, or very close to the bottom of the list, and... They go, so and so, New York Times bestselling author, um, you know, won this award, won that award. So and so, you know, alum from whatever university, uh, author of 15 books, blah, blah, blah. And finally it gets to me, Taylor Stevens escaped a cult, next person. <laughs> oh, yeah, you laugh. I oh, was my mad. I mean, it's like, are you kidding me? I am not here at this table because I escaped a cult. <laughs> it was like the most dismissive. Um, I, oh, I still get angry when I think about it. Just because it, it it's... Ah, if I had written a memoir about escaping a cult and that's why I was there, I'd totally buy into that. But it, it, my background had absolutely nothing to do with why I was at that table. <laughs> Just like they glommed onto that and said, oh, this one thing... Uh, is the essence of who this person is. It's like, oh, and here's Steve, who grew up in Ohio. Moving on.
1: Well, actually, when you grew up in Ohio, that tells a lot about a person because um, football, college football, and it is football season again. Right, and but
0: does it say anything about what you accomplished in your life or who you are as a person?
1: Well, at if this stage there, of my life, I'd actually prefer <laughs> to talk about college football.
0: <laughs> you're at a table. You're, you're at an event of of people who've worked in your industry and they're all being introduced by their titles and by the companies they've worked for and the awards they've achieved and then they go and here's steve who grew up in ohio
1: (laughs) i think i would crawl under the table
0: yeah okay that's my story and i'm sticking to it
1: (laughs) all right now and this actually sort of transitions into our topic today And when I say sort of, I mean really sort of. You're Uh, really stretching it here? I'm really stretching it here. But it's the little things that we know about a person and can write about them or or describe them in fiction to try and explain even more about a person and, and do it quickly. And I call these, some of these things like, character traits. And this is where it's a real stretch, because that's not a character trait for you. That's your history. But it's, it's a, a slice of, it's several words that people can lump together and say, Taylor was this, or Taylor is this, escaped from a cult. And then they feel like, okay, I'm done. Everyone now knows who Taylor is.
0: Except, except that, to go back to that subject, (laughs) not everybody has a very clear idea of what it is to grow up in a cult. So you're basically just slapping some mud on someone in that case and saying, here, make something out of this. Now, whatever your opinions are, that was that is what that person is. And you don't want to do that when you're creating characters in a story.
1: Okay. And and my example, the first example I'm going to give is certainly not slapping mud onto a character, but it's if you're if If you're around my age and you've read a lot of thrillers, you have probably read books by Robert Ludlum. He wrote a series of books featuring a police inspector called Edward X. Delaney. Oops, totally not Robert Ludlum. The author of the Edward X. Delaney series or the Deadly Sins series uh, was Lawrence Sanders. Now, back to the podcast. And I, I know some of you know who Edward X. Delaney is. And one of the things that every single book in that series, I think they're called the Deadly Sins, uh, the Deadly Sin series. Every single one had a scene, at least one, of Edward X. Delaney making this incredible sandwich and then eating it over the sink. And when when Taylor and I were talking about this before we started recording, I referred to that as a character trait That endeared the character to me because I love the idea of doing that. I actually started eating sandwiches over the sink because of that. (laughs) (laughs) And it just, it's something that I wanted to read. That when I read the next book, which back then was, you know, a year, two years later, whatever it was, um, I looked forward to that scene with the sandwich. So that was a character trait that endeared Edward X. Delaney to me. And he was, throughout the rest of the book, he's this gruff, you know, by-the-book police inspector guy. And this gave you a a slightly different look into his life. And you said, that's not a character trait, that's a quirk.
0: That's right. (laughs) That's exactly what I said, and that's exactly what it is. Um, A character trait is something more along the lines of someone... Of who someone is, and, a, and the quirk is more what they do.
1: Okay, and so when I think of character traits that endear characters to me, uh, what I'm actually thinking of are quirks, little oddities that that they that they do in in books on a consistent basis.
0: And when I think of things that endear characters to a reader, I tend to think of more of the the traits of what it is that even if it's an unlikable character still makes them likable. And I, I think about um, the first one that comes to mind is house, you know, that, that TV doctor series. Uh-huh. And he's a complete dick, but he's so incredibly likable. And it's because he's honest and he actually really genuinely cares about people. If he was a complete dick and a liar, and he didn't give a crap about people, no one would like him.
1: I think he might have been a liar, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm saying he's honest when he is telling people what he thinks about. He's, he's blunt, is yes. what I mean. Like He's blunt and doesn't spare people's feelings. And so he says a lot of stuff that vicariously we wish we could say, but we can't because polite society requires us to not get our faces punched in. Okay, so uh,
1: those scenes in every single episode of House where he says something that's blunt and that could be taken as offensive and that, that we as viewers take some vicarious pleasure from, are those? is that a quirk or is that a character trait?
0: Those are character traits. OK, because they're they're part of who he is, but they're not. Um, and I have to say, I've not seen a ton of episodes of House. Just I watched
1: from, I've from, watched every single one. I love but the, that ones, character.
0: the ones that I have seen, I've enjoyed. And from what I've heard, there was a point where they made him not be in pain and he softened up a bit and um, became more technically what we would in society deem to be a likable person. And the ratings started falling. So they had to make him his grumpy old self again. <laughs> um and and that that tells you something about what it was that was actually making him likable um, that drew the audience in and um if you it's i guess it's it's just when you're when you're creating characters to to understand the difference between quirks and character and really try and understand what it is that makes someone likable like Monroe. For example, a lot of people really don't like her because she's hard and she doesn't she's not um she doesn't adhere to society's standards of what it means to be a nice person. And she herself says, "I'm not a nice person." And she's totally at peace with that. But for those who do get her, one of the things that makes her likable is her empathy. And that she try, She doesn't want to empathize with people, but she can. She does. And when she does, she does a lot of stuff that's not in her own best interest because she cares. And she's also very smart. And to a lot of people, that intelligence is very attractive.
1: All right. So let's let's dig into this a little bit. And this is really sort of the topic of the show, even though... I'm not sure what what word to use for this. But how do we and when do we, how quickly do we try and establish these character traits that will bond the reader to the character um in, in a in a story? Is it is it something that you want to do like right away? I've I've seen people do it where it's like a, a telling kind of thing, where in the first five pages, you know, Joe is a really great guy, and he, he loves his dog, and he loves his kids, and he takes care of everything, and he pays his taxes, and he donates 50% of everything he makes to uh, some charity, some really obscure charity, and then the story starts. I'm assuming that's not the way to do it, but how, how quickly do you want to let the let the reader know who this character is so that they can really grow to like them?
0: There is no right answer to that. It is contextual. It is based on your voice, like what you just said about, you know, Joe is da, 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 da. that actually would be a great opening for a very light um, s- sort of a, a, a story that is almost like the narrator is telling the story to the audience type thing and where it has a lot of levity to it, where it's not this deep, dark story. It would not work in something that I do because the way that I write and my stories sort of gradually unfold the layers as, as they go. But there is no one right way to do it. If it works, it works. If the readers are connecting with it, they're connecting with it. And, um, you know, this whole thing of... Sh- it, it ties into that whole concept of show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. Sometimes telling is the best way to do it. You can shortcut so much through telling. Um, it's just that there are certain types of telling that really fall flat where showing is a better way to do it. And that's where the skill comes in of knowing, of being able to know which is which. And it's not like you can draw a quadrant and say this, that, this, that, do, don't, whatever. Um, So that is situational. And I think, as far as like when to to introduce those various traits, it's all going to depend on the character's place in the story. and, And when does the reader actually need to know this? If you're writing a story that is more character driven, where the reader gets to know the characters very deeply over time, well, then you don't want to throw all that right up front. But if you're writing of a short, power-packed thriller where there's no time to put it anywhere else or it'll interrupt the flow of the story or it's going to feel like why did you insert that there it doesn't have anything to do with it then put it up front if it actually has anything to do with the character you don't want to just like the the story and how the character interacts with the story you don't want to just throw stuff out there just to tell it if it doesn't have any bearing like if it's something that is definitely going to affect the way that the character behaves and acts the reader needs to know that needs to know why. And that's where that type of information comes in. And this is something that, um, well, you know, Steve and I have been talking about it for two different reasons. And one is, in the last show, we talked about how uh, we'd already been talking about a topic before we got the, the material from Carolyn. What we had been talking about and going, oh, did we already talk about this on air or not, is a scene in one of his short stories where... Um, I I edited, did a line edit on it, and I changed something where he had, the the character had been talking to one person, turned around to a mother who just lost her child and asked the mother a question, and I'm like, no, you know, that there's no empathy in that um, in that series of movements. When I line edited it, I added a small quirk i guess it would fall and it wasn't a quirk but it was what in our prior conversation would have been more quirk than trait but it's actually a movement beat where reggie the main character drops to a knee drops a knee in front of the woman and then asks her her quest- his question and in in the actual reading of it when he drops a knee we get a beat of inner dialogue where he explains it was the least threatening position I could take. And then he asks the question. And Steve had commented it out to me at the time saying, okay, this type of of character description, when, when do you do this and when is it too much and when is it not enough? And it's a really difficult question to answer because so much of it is contextual. And all I can do is explain that in this particular situation that one line where the character thinks to himself of, of why he did it, the least threatening position I could take, it showed empathy. It showed that he connected with the woman as a person who had lost something, someone who's feeling under threat, and he's making whatever effort he can to tune in to her needs to get what it is that he wants from her, which is information that will help them find her, her child. So... That small thing creates a likable moment. Without that, the character comes across as very do this, do that, turn around and talk to a mom who just lost her her child and demand information from her. It comes across as very um, heartless almost. And so by just inserting that one little line and giving a little bit of empathy, it makes the character much more likable. And so that was one of the things that we had been been talking about but to answer steve's question of how much or when and how do you do this it's it's this constant question for me too and one of the things that i've done to try and help myself with it is and i've talked about this before i have this questionnaire that i've started filling out about my characters uh, before i start writing the book and what it does is it forces me to think about them at a level i don't it's too much work. I don't want to do it, but it forces me to. And I'm going to read you some of the questions that are on this questionnaire right now so you understand what it is that when you start to figure these things out in your own head, then the actual quirks and the traits and the endearment and stuff, it comes naturally or more naturally because you know your characters that well and they're not flesh. They're not just cardboard. They're actually living, breathing human beings. So... Um, I'm skipping some of it, but one of the key questions is, what's the culture and background of this character? Who are they? And then to distill the character into one sentence, what is this character's current status, their ability, any their way of interacting with those above or beneath them, and how does this character view the world? And when you get to, to know that, understand how your character, where they came from, how they interact with different levels of society, they begin to come to life. Values, what does this character believe in? What keeps them consistent to their own moral compass? Desire, what is the most obvious thing the character wants in the story? It can change as the story goes along, but what does they want? And one question that's not on here is, what are they most afraid of? But a substitute question for that on this questionnaire is what's at stake for them? If they're not successful, in this story of what they're setting out to to attain what do they have to lose and their weakness what's missing what's this character's weakness that's holding them back in life in their achievements in in this story and their needs what are what are they really trying to fulfill and their need has to be something deeper it's not obvious like oh i want to find the guy who stole the item that I've been hired to find—it is an inner need because we all have um, subconscious things that drives us, drive us. These th- something we're seeking in life, whether it's approval or a sense of worthiness or love or status. Something is driving us, and those somethings are things that not only affect us. But sometimes they drive us in a way that can be detrimental to other people. And if you can figure that out for your character, you really begin to understand who this person is and see them as a a whole being rather than just, here's this person who does these funny, interesting things that that are likable. When, When you have the whole thing, then you know, why they're doing those funny things that are likable. Even if the why never shows up on the page, you know, and it keeps the character consistent. So they don't have conflicting character traits in that way. And then part of this continues is, what's the character's greatest opponent in this story? And then what kind of moral choices are they going to be making? And does the character change for better or worse? What kind of self-realization do they have along the way? So these are not easy questions to answer if you really want to dig down deep into a character. But once you do answer them, it makes it so much easier to to write that character in a very genuine, heartfelt way. And, and that genuineness, even if it's an unlikable character, still endears you to the character to the extent that it's possible in a villain, for example, that is created to be unlikable. But it, um, it creates this sense of knowing, and it goes back to your question, Steve, of transparency. And when something is transparent, you feel as if you know it. And in fiction, we do, we are entitled to that transparency from the character. We need to know the character. And that's where really understanding the depth can can make it so much easier to bring that to life in these tiny little tidbits like he took he dropped to a knee in front of her the least threatening position he could take
1: okay and then these character traits become organic rather than forced
0: i mean i think some of them would come organically through the story but once if you're the type of person that prefers to think it all out in advance of you know their their quirks their traits their their habits it would spawn from the knowing instead of I'm going to have a character who does this and does that and does that because I think it's cute. You know, not, I'm not saying those are your words. I'm just making a hypothetical author scenario here.
1: And once, once you have all of, once you really know your characters in, in the way that you're describing and and you're able to do these movement beats and, and little things, little self-talk things to, to help to deepen the relationship between the reader and the character, are there, do you ever step back and say, I need this character to have like a signature thing, like the sandwich for Edward X. Delaney? Is that is that a valid technique for deepening the relationship, or is it, I don't know. I'm, what, what do you think about using a technique like that? Because I, I think it's valuable. Um, and almost everyone that I talk to about Edward X. Delaney talks about the sandwiches. So th- there is something that's there, and it's, it, it has value, but is it something that you would think about as an author and make an effort to put into the stories?
0: It. Mm is contextual it depends on you as the author if it works for you then yes if it's something that you're doing just because you think it's a technique that might work that someone else told you about and you're like oh maybe this will solve my problem Mm -hmm. no because i mean i wouldn't be surprised if that character got that trait because the author knew somebody or had heard of somebody, or even himself did something like that. And because it came from a real living, breathing human being, it got transferred over onto the character. I would be surprised, and I'm not saying it didn't happen, I don't know anything, but I would be surprised if the author sat down and said, oh, what is something kind of quirky that I can do to this character and birthed it out of nothing?
1: All right. And I think that we've circled around and, and answered the question eventually, although it was sort of a torturous process because we were using different terminology and different kinds of examples. But I, I think and we it, got to the right not, answer.
0: It's also we we got to a answer. It's not really a cut and dry thing. Like even when Steve and I were talking, we're like, well, what do you even call this mm-hmm. when somebody you know, drop to a knee in front of her, the least threatening position you could take. What is that? You know, yes, it's inner dialogue. Yes, it's a movement beat. But what, yes, it's, you know, giving a character empathy. But what is it? What do you call that? And so maybe you guys out there actually who've studied writing or been through your MFA courses or whatever, maybe you have some terminology we could use to help narrow this down and break it up into to its actual labeled parts.
1: Okay, call to action. I have a call to action this week. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> um, we need some actual material. We haven't done one of those shows for a while where Taylor just takes a few paragraphs and really breaks it down. And for those of you who have gone through this process, I think um, as a writer having sent something in, I think the results have been pretty positive. And for the people that have listened, I know people really like those shows, but we need raw material to make those work. So if you've got something that you're working on that you're struggling with or if you just want to know how could I take this scene that I think is really good and, and just amp it up to the next level – anything like that we would be we would love to take a look at it and have have Taylor pluck out a few paragraphs and go into it in detail on a uh, a future show so if you have it send it to us
0: yes please and also it the the best way that i can help is if you have a specific concern um whether it's not one of i can't make this scene work because you know the dialogue is messy and the this and the point of view like something specific i'm I'm struggling with x in this scene it doesn't seem to be working because x then i can not meander and i can actually focus in on <laughs> something that might be helpful otherwise we'll have a scattershot approach and i don't know how good that will be
1: <laughs> all right well thank you thank you guys all so much for listening and we will be back again next Tuesday. Be with you next week. Thanks
0: for being here.